0: Welcome to Health System CIO's interview with Steve Crocker, Chief Information Security Officer with Methodist Laboner Healthcare. I'm Anthony Guerra, founder and editor in chief. Steve, thanks for joining me.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: All right, looking forward to to having a chat today. Uh can you tell me a little bit about your organization and your role?
1: Sure. Um, as you said, I've been the CISO at Methodist Le Bonheur Healthcare for a little over six years. Um, I was initially brought in to build the organization's very first security program, which included developing a strategy, of, uh, setting up the governance, and policies, risk management, certainly putting in the security uh, technology and processes, and really building the team. There was no security team there prior to me joining. so. Made a lot of progress, a lot more in front of us. Prior to that, I was the CIO and information security officer for 14 years at a a Memphis-based bank. And I've worked in a lot of different industries, but this is my first stint in healthcare. Um, Methodist itself, we're a relatively large healthcare delivery system based out of Memphis. We have six hospitals, including a world-renowned children's hospital. Um, We have about a hundred physician clinics that we own about 14,000 employees, and we're the second largest private employed in the city of Memphis. Um, in addition to that, we're an academic teaching and research hospital. We have a close partnership with the University of Tennessee Health Sciences um, Medical School.
0: We're very good. So you, you went from working at the bank for 14 years to, mm-hmm. that's, that's an interesting switch, to not only Starting healthcare, but starting at an organization that did not have a lot of structure in place—that's why you were brought in. That's a that's a big switch. What made that an attractive move for you?
1: Well, my early career was spent in the technical area, and then I eventually got into management. Um, kind of drifted over into security a lot when I was in banking because that's a big priority in banking. Uh, the bank I was at, uh, eventually was acquired by a larger bank. That bank offered me a different role within their organization. A great organ, great bank, and, uh, certainly considered that. But this opportunity at Methodist came along and it intrigued me for two reasons. It was an opportunity to go in and, and build another security program from the ground up, uh, something I'd done before, but it was in a different industry sector. It was healthcare and, um, that that was intriguing. I enjoy that challenge of, of, of going into new areas that I maybe did not did not have experience in before. So um, it, it, it's been fun. I enjoy healthcare. It's definitely a different <laughs> different yeah. Uh, yeah. culture than financial services. Uh, the advantage is that a lot of the things that we are doing in healthcare right now is a little bit of deja vu with some of the things that we may have done uh, early on in banking that it's been maybe doing cybersecurity a little bit longer than healthcare. So So that
0: that comment that we hear all the time about healthcare being, uh, I don't know, 15, 10, 15 years behind other industries, you think that's accurate
1: in terms Uh, of use of technology? I, I do, I think you know it's certainly at least seven to ten years. But I do think that gap is closing. i I'm seeing um, you know across the board, I think the sector is behind, but I'm seeing more and more or especially the larger organizations um, really um, moving towards uh, you know a better control infrastructure and and making security a business issue. and Setting up good programs. So I'm seeing a lot of innovation and security in a lot of organizations across the board, though. Yeah, healthcare was still a little behind.
0: So, coming from an industry that was, let's say, seven to 10 years ahead of where healthcare was, perhaps in overall technology and then in security specifically, that would have its advantages and its challenges because the advantages you certainly were in an industry that was further along. The disadvantages of learning the nuances the subtleties the the power dynamics whatever you want to call it of healthcare can you tell me a little bit about that process of were there moments where you were like you know wow i can't believe things work like this around here it would never happen like this in banking
1: yeah there were um and that was one of the you know i spent the first 12 months just kind of learning who the key players were and Um, you know, learning the the politics and the workflows and everything that goes along with healthcare and our organization, getting to know board members, getting to know executives and other stakeholders throughout the organization. Um, At the end of the day, protecting um, data and protecting systems is very similar, whether you're in healthcare, uh, banking, retail, uh, there's a lot of similarities, but it, it is learning those workflows. And Yes, there were times that I said, I can't believe we're doing it this way. But, you know, we, we talk about how more, how much more advanced banking is. There were similar things in banking. Sometimes in banking, we would say the same thing. <laughs> I can't believe we're doing things this way. But um, I, I think some of the additional challenges in healthcare care is the added um, impact of, of, of patient safety. We just mm-hmm. didn't have that in financial services, certainly the financial side of things and people's livelihoods. But in this case, you've, you've really got that those human lives that are sometimes hanging in the balance. And that, that adds a lot of uh, uh, additional context to the security discussion for sure.
0: Right, right. So uh, healthcare has its uh, powerful users or internal customers. Could be surgeons that bring a lot of uh, you know, gravitas to the situation, revenue to the organization, you know, financial services has that too with traders, different individuals that Mm -hmm. can be extremely powerful um, that are your customers and may not always, you know, CISOs often can be on the wrong end of uh, the ire of those kind of folks. Is it, is it comparable to to the banking where you have sort of super users that you have to deal with uh, delicately?
1: Yeah, certainly. It, it, you know, in healthcare, it's the physicians and banking. It may be things like loan officers who are the uh, who the revenue revenue generators. Um, I've always found that you know to have those discussions with those people to help explain the why we're doing. And
0: do you find have you found that uh, with the high profile breaches that we've seen in, in healthcare and other industries, has it made your job easier in in that respect over the last five ten years? Um, that people get it more than they used to.
1: I, I, yeah, it's interesting you say that. When I first got into healthcare around twenty fifteen, um, you know, it was really more privacy and compliance-driven when it came to security. It was um, you know, looking at HIPAA and different things like that. I think it was around 2016, 2017, when ransomware started really taking a hold in healthcare, and it really started having that patient safety impact, that, that impact on on the business and operations and shutting down hospitals, having them go on diversion. And that really started resonating not only with the board but with the physicians. They started seeing that, you know, a cybersecurity incident can have a real impact on our ability to care for patients, and so it made those discussions a little bit easier. I wouldn't say it's easy, but but it, it certainly you know opened up some some opportunities to have some more collaborative discussions with those key players.
0: You talk about patient safety uh, impact on patient safety uh, security lapses can have a huge impact. Um, I spoke to a CISO the other day who spoke about the importance of having her security team connected to the mission. And it was in around a discussion about remote work. And she wanted, she needed folks to come back in at least at some degree of frequency to round, to be around patients, to be around the mission. She felt that was super important. What do you think about that?
1: Um, I think it's important for them to be tied into the method, I are mean, into the mission. Um, no doubt about that. We have to understand why the healthcare system is here, and that's to care for patients and their families. It's it's not to do security. Uh, I don't think it's necessary for those people to be on site to do that. Um, we're we're more of a remote workforce now uh, since COVID, and I think we'll continue to be that. I think we're just as effective, if not more effective, remotely. Um, There are instances where people need to come into the office. If we had a big cybersecurity incident, I'd want my team on site just to avoid any any complications that may come with the use of technology. Now, that's where my staff, for me, yep, absolutely. I want to get in and do some rounding and and talk to people and and, uh, and get to know people and make my presence known throughout the organization. And same with some of my leaders that, that fall under me. But in general,
0: the staff, I think they're fine most Yeah. So I, I, we worry about that two-tier kind of system, right? I mean, if you if if you're coming in and you get your leaders coming in and there's certain individuals that are not coming in, do you worry that those folks just may not move up into that that sort of upper rank of management and leadership?
1: Well, no, when I say they're not coming in, they they are coming in on a periodic basis okay. for different meetings and different things like that. And, and anytime there's opportunities, we may have them around with us as we're going around one time. We select some, some individuals. Um, and we also make really good use of our technology. So we use things like Microsoft Teams and uh, you know to do to be really collaborative even though we're not in the same room so we use the video and, and and there's a lot of collaboration opportunities that that you can use the technology for
0: one of the things i've heard mentioned a few times is that uh, CIOs and CISOs are really striving to figure out how to create a virtual conference room type experience that's comparable to what you'd get if you were all in the same room um, I think there's investments that need to be made. I don't know if the technologies are all up to par, but that is something people are working on and struggling with. Do you have any thoughts around that?
1: Um, you know, I, I, probably, I, I think that, that uh, you know, making sure, it's difficult to have that same exact experience as when you're on site. Um, No matter the technology, Uh, if we were doing something that was highly collaborative, if we were, say, deploying a new EMR or something, that's going to require people to come into the office, be in front of each other and really be able to collaborate a little bit more. Um, But just your day-to-day work, especially in the security area, we just, frankly, we have not seen an issue with the remote work. We've actually found our people to be more productive because they have less interruptions. Uh, kind of that water cooler talk. Um, and, and in fact, it's helped us with recruiting because uh, yeah. keeping people, uh, finding people is very difficult nowadays. And I think if you're not offering remote work, yeah. you're going to struggle to find people or even keep people because just about every position now, even the CISO roles, is, 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 they're being offered remote nowadays. So that's just the new world we live in.
0: Yeah, so you're, you you you're very okay with the remote stuff. But if and when it, you feel the team needs to come together physically, you expect cooperation uh, and understanding. Is that appropriate? Oh, absolutely. That's, yeah.
1: always an, that's always an understanding. In fact, we have, so a lot of our team is located throughout the United States, and we will periodically bring them in um, for meetings and just some some in-person, you know, bring them in for a week, go to lunch, just some in-person interaction uh, I think that's very helpful just to kind of you know, build that camaraderie between the team.
0: Let's talk a little bit about uh, business continuity. Um, you know, as I think more and more about, you know, your role, I mean, that's really what it's all about, right? I mean, you're, you're there, you know, we've heard the term chief chief risk officer, which probably is a, an individual, but you are the the head of risk as far as the IT systems goes. Um, and your job is essentially to manage risk, to communicate risk, uh, and then find out what appetite people have for the level of risk you're saying exists, suggestions for uh, mitigating that risk and and describing the cost. Of so, so you want less risk. Here's what we can do. Here's what it'll cost. And the business folks make those kind of decisions. Um, but ultimately, it, it's about business continuity, right? It's about we need to keep these systems running. And whatever you need to do related to a cybersecurity incident, you have to make sure if we're down, it's a very short period of time. And you take me through it. Take me through it.
1: Sure. So, well, starting with risk management, that's that's an area I'm very passionate about. I think that's the core of what information security team does. Um, and I think it's important to have some independence and separation there as well. And what that means is that security should not own most risks. Um, even cyber risks should almost always own, be owned by the business units that rely on that technology. And that way, it gives them the opportunity to make business decisions. Because like it or not, sometimes we don't in security, the business may decide to accept a risk, even a high risk. If that potential benefit outweighs the risk, that may be the best business decision. And then we have to, have to learn to operate within that. Now there's some risk that get owned by IT and even information security, but in general, as much as we can, we really want to push that over into the business area. Um, at the end of the day, we should be an advisor and consultant to asset owners on how they can manage the risk on the assets they own, not a gatekeeper to say yes or no. And you touched on continuity, um, business continuity, and disaster recovery. That is. That's when you look at the cybersecurity framework, you've got the five functional areas, and one of them is recover. That recover area is probably, in my experience, the one that's the most important to your board of directors. They want to make sure you have the right protective controls in place. They want to make sure that you're able to detect cybersecurity incidents and you're able to respond to them. But at the end of the day, it's about how quickly you can get the business back up and operational. Um, and that's what they're really going to be focused on. So having good plans in place, um, documented plans that are regularly reviewed, regularly updated, and going through tabletop tests so that you're as prepared as you can be in the event that incident happens, uh, I think that's very, very critical. And like I said, in my experience, the board really zeroes in on that business continuity.
0: So let's talk a little bit more about the the concept of, of having the business owners and the departments assume responsibility for the risk they want to accept. What do you see as as the IT security department's role in that? Are you there to make sure they understand the risk they're taking on it and they know about all that they may not realize there's certain risks there when it comes to security? So you say, hey, here's what's going on. Here's the best way I can describe the level of risk you've got right now. Are you okay with it? Or <laughs> tell me how that works out.
1: Yeah, and it's important to have good, um, good process and good workflow to go along with yeah. that. Um, but yeah, for us, we, we, you know, we, the, our first our job is to identify the risks. So right. we we'll do assessment and, and 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 look and find where those risk areas are, quantify that risk as much as we can, um, and then communicate that to those business areas and those risk owners. Now. You can't go and talk technical jargon with them, obviously, so you have to put that into a business context and why that matters to them and explain what the risk is, why it's important, what the potential impact on the organization and their area of the business is. And then some potential ways you can treat that risk. You can certainly accept it. You may want to avoid the risk or you may want to mitigate it. Here's some options and how we can mitigate it. So you want to go through that process with them so that they can make an informed business decision. Uh, It's up to them to make the decision. It's up to you to give them the information they need to make that decision. And if
0: there are dollars associated with with the risk reduction scenarios you give them, uh, do those come out of their budget or your budget, or it depends?
1: It sometimes depends. Um, it, it, you usually want to try to have it come out of their budget. It just doesn't yeah. always work out that way. Um, sometimes it's out of the IT budget because at the end of the day, a lot of these are technology risks. So they may own the systems and they may own the risk, but it's IT that will actually do the work to to remediate that. So maybe it's re- upgrading a system that's end of life. Well, that's a decision from the business unit, but the IT area will do that actual, uh, do that legwork to get that done.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting to me, and I'd like your, your thoughts or so you give me feedback on how, how risk is shared in a health system. So you have overall risk, some of which has nothing to do with IT. Then you have the CIO that's gonna own some risk related to IT, the CISO that's mm-hmm. gonna own risk related to IT security, You're talking about the business owners owning some risk that's related to IT security. So there's almost a shared, you probably have some of that risk on you and some on them. Um, There's a lot of risk in a health system. There's a lot of people that have a little piece of it.
1: Yeah. And in my experience, most risk in healthcare organizations have been focused on the patient side of things and for good reason, obviously. I think this is an opportunity for the healthcare sector in general. When you go back to financial services, you mentioned the chief risk officer. We always had a chief risk officer that took care of all of the risks throughout the entire organization, brought it all together to present it in a cohesive fashion. And that included uh, financial risk, that included um, IT risk, cybersecurity risk, et cetera. So I think that's an opportunity for healthcare to start looking at more chief risk officers, looking at enterprise risk, bringing all that together for a discussion with the board and the executives. Right,
0: because third-party risk is, is interesting. area, right? a huge, huge area. So third-party risk covers a lot of areas of risk. So for example, there's the risk that that application isn't gonna play well in your overall stack, that may be the CIO's risk. There's the IT security risk, that may be your risk there's a the risk that that vendor may go out of business in 10 minutes because they're financially insolvent. Somebody's got to take a look at that risk. I don't know if that's CFO or the, who look, you know, so there's a lot of pieces of this, right?
1: Yes. It, and it kind of not only vendor risk management, but really all risk management and all cybersecurity as an enterprise effort. It's not something that your security team's going to do in a silo by themselves. Vendor risk management was one of our, early wins as we built our security program here at Methodist. Um, You know, you've got vendors and service providers and they have uh, oftentimes have a lot of access to very sensitive and regulated data. Sometimes they may store that data. Sometimes they may just access your network uh, for support purposes. One of the things that I noticed in healthcare is that We use a lot of vendors, much more than we did in, uh, or we give a lot of access to vendors, much more than we did in financial services, and for good reason in a lot of cases. But many of those vendors are very small niche vendors that perform a very specific and limited service. So they may not have an IT team, they may not have a security team, but there's a lot of risk, potential risk associated with those vendors. So really important to do a lot of assessment work and a lot of vetting of those vendors, especially before you onboard them. That's where we try to catch them. Um, we have a, It's built into our culture now where you're bringing in a new service, a new vendor, we're going to do a, a risk assessment on it. Now, we can't possibly vet every security control they have, but just doing reasonable due diligence, looking at uh, any audit reports they may have, uh, reviewing policies and procedures, sending them questionnaires, and just having general discussions with them, um, That doing that on the front end helps a lot because that's when you have the most leverage. Once they sign the contract, you're going to lose that leverage. And then oftentimes, we may look at their security program and say, you've got a good program, but you've got a few gaps here. Maybe we want you to use multi-factor authentication in this specific example to help reduce that risk. Well, we have more leverage before that contract is signed, and oftentimes we can get them to go along with those controls. So that's a that's a big area for us. It's led by the security team, but it's a really a collaborative effort that involves legal, compliance, uh, supply chain, even our IT project management office. So, you know,
0: we talked about questionnaires. That whole thing makes me very nervous. I mean, you've got, you're really relying. And, and there's other ways, right? There's high trust, there's SOC 2, type 2. So there's outside third-party certifications that these vendors can get that give you a little more comfort. But the to me, it's always been a little concerning, the idea of putting a lot of confidence in a questionnaire filled out by an entity that needs to say the right things to get the business. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So Yeah. <laughs> right? So it's got to be beyond the questionnaire something, right?
1: It, it does. And it, it's kind of like security in general. It's layered controls. So mm-hmm. uh, questionnaires serve a purpose, but they shouldn't be the end all. Uh, ideally, those vendors would have those independent audit reports, whether that's a SOC 2, a high trust ISO, something from an independent auditor that came in and did a review of their security program and their controls. That's usually the best thing you can get short of doing an audit yourself. Um, But if they have that, then it's going to require a little bit more digging. You're going to have to rely on some of these uh, from the outside in services like uh, security scorecard and um, I forgot the name of some of the others, but those can sometimes provide some good information. Uh, You're going to just have discussions with them and review their policies and procedures. And you have to dig a little bit deeper also involves uh, contract language. So you want to contractually obligate them to, to maintain certain security controls and certain level of security posture as well. So, yeah, when you don't have those audit reports, it does lead to a lot more work on vetting those vendors for sure.
0: Right, right. Let me ask you a little bit of an open-ended question. Um, what do you think is something you're looking at, a trend you're seeing or something you're looking at or working on that you may not think everybody else, it's at the top of their list, but you're saying to yourself, this is either important here or this is important overall. This is, you know, my colleagues should be aware of this. Any thoughts
1: there? That's a good question. Um, we all have a lot of the same challenges when I talk to my peers. So in general, we're all looking at the same thing. I think an area that that probably could use more attention is insider threat. Um, you know, th- that's an area that sometimes we're really focused on the nation state and the cyber criminals, and certainly we should be, but oftentimes it's the insider threat that, that we need to be taking a look at, whether that's you know, mistakes from um, individuals or just, you know, malicious activity from individuals, sometimes even being, you know, we've, we've seen incidents where people are paid by outside parties Um to to, provide sensitive data. We haven't seen that here at Methodist, but I've seen that in the industry where um, employees are paid to provide data to different individuals outside of the organization. So insider threats probably a good area to focus on for a lot of people.
0: uh, Talk about the difference. To me, I would imagine there's a huge difference between malicious and non-malicious in terms of the way they're detected, the way they're remediated the approach and and your policies and programs um is is that correct in your mind there's a big big difference
1: yeah sometimes there is yeah so malicious is, is as i mentioned maybe somebody is um accessing records they shouldn't be accessing and pulling data they shouldn't be access at pulling and sharing data they shouldn't be sharing um it could even be you know Hacking activity uh, right. in some cases, um, but then you have the other area where there's just the general mistakes. Something just yeah. configured. Someone didn't apply a patch when they were supposed to, or or didn't apply a security control that came out in a risk assessment that said it was a requirement. And so. You can't be everywhere at once, so, you know, it's just uh, you have to utilize the resources you have and the tools you have to do as much discovery and monitoring as possible. But like I said, there's always, it just can't be everywhere at once.
0: Right, right.
1: Big challenge for all security teams.
0: Big difference between Nurse Sally uh, inappropriately looked at her aunt's test results versus someone is selling patient files and data for pure profit, right? Right.
1: And that's where we partner a lot with our compliance and privacy area because that's really more on their side, but they lean on us for some of the technology and monitoring capabilities. And that's there again, that's just a big partnership with compliance and, and privacy and, and legal. And, and you know, that's outside of IT, those are the groups that I work with probably more than any other group. And that's compliance and privacy, legal, and even internal audit. Um, but we have very tight partnerships.
0: Right. Um, And you talk a little bit about the work you do with legal. You know, we talked about third party risk and how important contracting is. You need a very good relationship. Obviously, the CIO is involved, but you have to be involved. And all of you have to be working with legal um, in order to make sure those contracts, those SLAs, all those things are coming out uh, correctly and probably efficiently, too, because these things could take forever. And then your business owners are like, I wanted to use this application, it's been eight months, right? So all this, tell me about that dynamic.
1: Yeah, so um, the best approach is to kind of get a general security agreement that's an addendum or a rider to all of your contracts, uh, just for some of the basic controls. And then you're not doing a lot of that ad hoc uh, work that goes along with requiring all of them to use multi-factor authentication, just put that in the general agreement. Um, then if there are some specific things for that particular vendor, that's where you would work with legal. So that's the ideal way to do it. The other thing is that it's not just vendors. Because we're an academic institution, we do a lot of research and provide a lot of data to research entities, whether that be University of Tennessee or others. And so that requires a lot of contract language and negotiations and discussions as well that involve legal and compliance and some other teams. It, it's it's, I think we all, uh, all those groups, we all have hotlines for each other so We can get in touch with each other pretty quickly.
0: Right, right. All right, listen, I like to keep these to 30 minutes and we're about there. I just want to give you an opportunity to offer a final thought. Um, you know, in my mind, we all think we do something well. We all think that there's something about the way we work or the way we approach our jobs that's been a little bit of a key to our success so tell me, what is it about what you bring to the table, your approach to the job that you think has served you well as a bit of advice, you know, something for your colleagues to maybe think about.
1: Yeah. So I, I think it's just, um, you know, it's continuous learning because our field is always changing. So what you were doing a year ago may be a lot different than what you're doing now because those threats are evolving. So, staying plugged into continuous learning, uh, staying plugged into your network of peers. Um, most people are facing the same challenges. So um, the, the more you build that network of people, you can call on to kind of understand how they've been dealing with it. It may be different than the way you deal with it, but it's always good to hear other perspectives. And then I think finally, just finding the right balance, that work-life balance. You need some type of outlet because um, especially CISOs, if you don't find some balance you're going to burn yourself out pretty quickly it's a very stressful and draining job and uh for me i you know i I try to spend as much time as i can with my family that's kind of my happy place uh sometimes i do um I'm, i'm an outdoorsman so i do hunting and fishing and for me sitting on a quiet lake fishing or sitting in a deer stand that can be very therapeutic sometimes nice break from the alerts and phones and emails and and then if I need to really blow off some steam and frustration, I play in a rock band. So oh. that becomes another outlet for me. But whatever your your passion is, whatever your thing you like to do is, just have that balance because well, you can really burn yourself out quickly in this industry. I've seen it multiple times.
0: Well, you're not the only uh, IT executive I know who's into hunting and fishing and outdoors. So there's no. something about getting out there and away from the computer that probably is therapeutic. Yeah. No. All right, Steve, listen, I want to thank you so much for your time today. It was a wonderful interview. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Anthony. I enjoyed it.